Good morning. It is so good to see you. It's so good for our church to be together again. This is the eyewitness-based account of the first Easter Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago. Did you catch that bit right in the middle where Mary Magdalene is looking for Jesus' dead body and she sees this guy and she thinks he's, did anybody catch it? What? The gardener. She thinks he's the gardener. She doesn't recognize him, but it's Jesus. Physically, he's risen from the dead. He's back to life, but she mistakes him for the gardener. But actually, she wasn't mistaken because Jesus is the true gardener, the true Adam, who is once again going to now cultivate the garden of God's creation and make it what God always intended it to be. And that's the point of Easter. That's the point that all four Gospels make when they talk about the resurrection. That when Jesus rose from the dead, this was God in flesh rising from the dead and he was doing something. When he rose from the dead, he was breaking through death and launching the new creation. In other words, the, turn, the turning point in all the long eons of world history was then. 2,000 years ago, for eons and eons, the world has been cooking along. But this thing that happened 2,000 years ago was the turning point. God himself became one of us, took on flesh just like us, walked among us, and then he was killed. He was dead. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And when he did that, he did something. The resurrection isn't just proof that Jesus was God. He was doing something in the resurrection. And what he was doing was opening the door to the new creation. He was launching the new creation. Now, if the point of Easter is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he opened the door to a new world, then what is this world like? What is this new world? Here in John's gospel, in this account of the resurrection, the reason it's about not just, oh, he rose from the dead. The reason we've got all those details is because he's showing us what the new world looks like. First of all, in the new creation that Jesus opened the door to at his resurrection, this is a world where death is defeated. We can see this right in verse 14. Here is Jesus risen from the dead. That great sleep. And the first person we're told that he sees is Mary Magdalene. Now where else in the Bible is there a famous story of a man sleeping in a garden, waking up and seeing a woman? Genesis chapter 2. Adam. Here is Jesus, the new Adam, the true Adam, awakening to find Eve. But whereas the first Adam made a grave out of a garden, here the true Adam makes a garden out of a grave. Jesus is God in the flesh. He tasted death, he submitted to its silence, and then he cut a back door through the tomb so that death is now a passageway. It is the gateway into new life. Death, after this moment, is no longer the end. Jesus twisted death inside out. He removed the sting. He won the victory over our great enemy. And now that new creation 
where death is defeated is here. It's invaded this old, tired creation. Death, who is relentless in its finality, no longer has the last word. On that first Easter morning, the fabric of the universe changed. From that point on, what God had in mind for us from the very beginning has been reclaimed by the Son for all who believe in him and bind themselves to his cause. The Lord of life has become the Lord of death. God's throne is in a tomb, and that's new creation. And so maybe you want to ask, but wait a minute. If everything changed 2,000 years ago, why is there still so much death? After over a year of lockdowns and shutdowns and other downers, after a year of death, death, and more death, the skeptic should be permitted to question what I'm saying. Where in this hellish world is the evidence that something actually changed at Easter 2,000 years ago? And that is such a good question. It's the right question. Any God could put up a throne in a temple, but the true God must reign in the ruins or he doesn't reign at all. He is no living God if he is not the living one among the dead. So go to the trash heap churches around the world where Christians sing their thanks to the creator amidst the steamy stink of garbage. Check out the graveyards where the early Christians celebrated Eucharist at the graves of the martyrs. Go to the places fourth century Christians created for the sick and the poor to be cared for. Places that never existed until that moment in time. Places that we now call hospitals. And remember the martyr women and children who so impressed Athanasius with their defiance of death. And the Kenyan martyrs who still impress us today. Peer into the darkness where there are dead men's bones. And like Mary, you'll see the ghostly outline of a throne there. So that first Easter morning, Jesus rose from the dead, opening the door to the new creation. A world where death has been defeated. And one day, not only will its sting be gone, not only will death be not the end, one day, death will be no more. Second, the second characteristic of the new creation that Jesus launched, that he kicked off, is, is in John here. And that characteristic is that in the new creation, this is a world where justice is for everyone. The new creation that exploded into reality when Jesus was raised from the dead is a world where justice really is for everyone. As mysterious as the cross of Christ is for all of us who wonder, at its heart, it is about the sacrifice of an innocent man who chooses for love's sake to take into his heart the wounds of the world. Jesus experienced state-sponsored terror. He was a crucified king of an oppressed ethnic group. Do you see? God became human in the person of a poor manual laborer from a defeated backwater of the Roman Empire who was tortured to death by the political and religious authorities of his day. And in the crucifixion of Jesus, we see the world that we all hate. 
the world we all know. We see a world where we all want justice, but it doesn't happen. Here is a world where injustice wins, where the bullies and the power brokers do what they want and get away with it. That's the world we live in. And here is Jesus drawing all of that out. But not just that. Going beyond that and drawing out the real source of injustice in the world. The dark force that stands behind the betrayal of Judas and the plotting of the chief priest and the cynicism of the Roman governor. And when Jesus dies, he defeats the power that is driving injustice. And in the resurrection, he not only is launching a new world where death has been defeated, he is launching a new world where justice is for everyone because he rose to life as the judge, not just the savior, but the judge that will secure justice for everyone. Listen again to our reading from Acts chapter 10, verse 42. And God commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge. Jesus died for justice. He rose for justice. And do you know who the first victims of injustice to experience the gift of Jesus restoring order in the new creation? Do you know who the first victim of injustice was? Mary Magdalene. A woman. A primary victim of injustice in the ancient world. This was not a safe place for women. Not only was it not a safe place for women, but women were not trusted when they gave witness or testimony. Josephus, the first century Jewish writer wrote, don't let the testimony of women be admitted in court on account of the levity and the boldness of their sex. He wasn't arguing for this position. He was stating the common position of the day. But a woman, Mary Magdalene, was the first person sent by Christ to tell people that Christ has risen from the dead. Can you imagine the effect on her in that culture? That it was a profound act of justice. If you don't see how that is an act of justice, then, then simply think of all the heartache and pain that is raging its way through our society because the testimony of women is not accepted. Faith in Christ is not wish fulfillment or cultural superstition. It is rooted in history. And if it matters that the virgin birth happened and the resurrection happened, then it is also hugely significant that women played the prominent roles in observing, experiencing, and testifying to these events. Again, let's ask the obvious question. If Jesus really did open the door to the new world 2,000 years ago, a world with justice for everyone, then where in this hellish world we live in is there evidence that the new creation, the new world of justice for all actually started happening? Nicholas Kristof is a liberal, progressive, um, 
Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and specialist in human rights. He writes for the New York Times. He wrote a few years ago, in all of his journeys to sites of injustice, quote, go to the front lines at home or abroad in the real battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, obstetric fistula, human trafficking, or genocide, and some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians and conservative Catholics. And then he writes, I'm not particularly religious myself, but I stand in awe of those I've seen risking their lives in this way. When Jesus rose from the dead, he really did open a door into the new creation, a world where death is defeated and justice is secured for everyone and finally a world where sin is forgiven. That's the third characteristic of this new world in John's account of the resurrection. We see this in John's account of, of when he talks to Mary down in verse 17 and he says, go tell my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Now remember, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus had called these same disciples my friends. What changed between when in chapter 15, Jesus looked at his disciples and called them my friends, and chapter 20, when he calls them his brothers? You know what changed? They betrayed him. They denied him. And they abandoned him in his most embarrassing, painful, and desperate moment. And in response to that, he upgrades them. He brings them in closer. My brothers. This is such an intimate act of affirmation and adoption. He has made them members of his own family. And in the next paragraph that we'll look at next week, Jesus places forgiveness at the heart of the vocation of the Christian. Not only are we to be out there fighting for life and against death, not only are we to be out there fighting for justice and against injustice, we are to be out there forgiving extending forgiveness. Isn't this just so wonderful? I mean, look at us right here. This group of people, we are people of glory and ruin. Our glory is real and so is our ruin. We are glorious. We are a church filled with teachers and artists and children and adults and mental health professionals and homemakers and doctors and lawyers and students and retirees. We are forgiven and we are forgivers. We are generous and sacrificial and faithful and beautiful and we are full of ruin. We are, I know. You tell me your sins. In this group right now, we are thieves and adulterers and scoundrels and bullies. The, we are the violent and the rude. We are those filled with lust and filled with greed. And the list just goes on and on. Each one of us is a glorious ruin in our own distinct way. We are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. We are a church of ordinary clay-footed 
people. And 2,000 years ago, through the cross and the resurrection, God kick-started a new world where people like us are forgiven. And not only are we forgiven, but we get to draw down on that forgiveness and give it to others. We are sinful people. We need grace. We need mending. We need repair. And the very beginning of John's gospel, we're told to look at Jesus. Look at him, John says. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so if you were to ask, where is the evidence? I would say this is the evidence. If you could know about (laughs) so many of you, would I know? You are sitting among some people who have committed horrible sins and have sought God's forgiveness and have received it. And you are sitting among people who have been the victim of unspeakable sins. And yet they have forgiven those who sinned against them. One of the most radical claims of the Christian faith is that Christ's blood is the cure equally for the sin of the child and the sin of the murderer. There is no extra strength blood of Christ because there doesn't have to be. There is never ever a week that anybody ever needs to go back to communion for a second helping. On the cross and in the resurrection, God opened the door to this new world that we're getting to live in where actual sins are actually forgiven by the actual creator. And all of this is just the start. There is coming a day when God will complete his work of establishing this new world, this new heaven and earth, when God finally and fully finishes what he began so utterly and gloriously and mysteriously in the resurrection, when he fully completes the work that he's begun, it will cover every square inch of your heart. Every square inch of your life will be forgiven, will be given justice, And we'll be delivered from death. And it will not only cover every square inch of us, it will cover every square inch of this city and this valley and this world. Every sphere of culture, every tribe and language and nation. Art will be art without death. Education will do exactly what it's supposed to do. Like God promised this to us in our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 25. On this day, the mountain, on this mountain of the Lord, the, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. That is the definition of justice. Everybody gets to eat like kings. Everybody. There will come a day when there is no injustice. And then it goes on, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from our faces. The end of death for everyone. And finally it says, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. That's the end of sin. Not only will we get forgiveness, but we will get what it takes to never sin again. This new creation Jesus launched when he was raised from the dead, it will come to its full flowering. Now there's one last important question I hope somebody here is asking, and it's this. Do you really believe that? 
How can a modern person actually believe that God became a human, died, and rose from the dead? It sounds to me like the stories I read in Edith Hamilton's mythology. After all, it's just hard to believe that somebody rose from the dead. I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's hard. I think it's basically impossible to really ask that question and to really believe that. It just sounds like airy-fairy fantasy because at the end of the day, everybody knows dead people don't rise up from the dead. And everybody's always, they've always known that. You see, it's a modern myth that the ancient world didn't know that. That they didn't know the laws of nature. They actually were far more comfortable with the finality of death than we are. They lived around it. It is a myth that the ancient world was susceptible to fairy tales because they didn't know people couldn't rise from the dead. That's just baloney. Plato clearly knew that the dead didn't rise. Seneca knew the dead didn't rise. They all knew it because it was obvious to them. You put the body into the ground and the person's not coming back. And no matter how many mythological stories you like to tell about Hercules or whoever, that person's not coming back. Everybody knew it. They didn't struggle with it, just like kids don't grow up struggling with certain fairy tales we tell them today. And Mary Magdalene knew that. She knew dead people did not rise from the dead. That's the most basic reason when she turned around, she didn't recognize him. She just didn't expect to be talking to the person that's been dead for three days. And yet she ends the story in verse 18, running to the apostles and announcing to them, I have seen the Lord. How did she do that? How did she go from being a good, pre-modern, death is final, to someone who believed that Jesus rose from the dead? Don't let yourself off the hook. The answer is not what you're thinking. How did Mary come to believe? She came to believe through the patient watching of love. Mary came to believe in Jesus not because she was from a time that it was just easier to believe in the resurrection. No, she came to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead because of the evidence of love. Here's what I mean. Ludwig Wittgenstein was a great philosopher in the first half of the 20th century. And there's this amazing saying of his. It is love that believes the resurrection. It's love that believes the resurrection. That's just an extraordinary thing to say. And I think what he's putting his finger on is that so many of us, we love this world, this wild and wonderful world with its flowers and sunshine, its deserts and mountains, its beauty and wonder, its pleasures that take our breath away. There are just so many good things about this world that, and we love it. And yet, and yet, there are so many things about this world that feel horribly wrong. We know it's home, and yet we feel like strangers. We, it feels alien. But with the resurrection... God is saying yes to the goodness of the creation. And when you see that and you realize it, this is the key. When you realize 
that the resurrection is God saying yes to the goodness of this world, it strikes you with the force of love. It comes at you with the creator's love saying, yes, it's true. I made this world. I love this world. I love you. You are mine. And when that happens and rising up inside of you is an answering love. You know what I mean by an answering love? The way a mother turns to a child in meltdown and loves the child into an answering love, a responding love. When the answering love arises in your own heart, that is when you can believe the resurrection because love is the ultimate way to know someone. Would you rather someone dissect you or date you? What do you think would lead to better knowledge? The objective dissection or the I'm going to jump in with a risk and love. Love is the primary path to knowledge. All other paths to knowledge happen within love. Now here in the West, we have flattened love into some mere emotion or sentiment or fantasy. But that's not fundamentally what love is. Fundamentally, love is the way we know things. Love is how we know things. It's the primary path to knowledge. And the resurrection is the unveiling of the creator's love. Not least because when we see Jesus raised from the dead, we can begin to realize what he was doing on Good Friday and why. We see that he conquered death and injustice and sin and he did this out of love. So as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we can say, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. It's love that believes the resurrection. The love which the resurrection itself calls out from us as it's preached and the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts. Jesus' resurrection reveals the truth of the Creator God. It reveals the truth of the Redeemer. So look, if you're like Mary early that Sunday morning, knowing for a fact dead people don't rise, once you believed or you tried to believe, but now there's just no God to be found. Only silence. You hear others talking about God and about how they hear from God or feel God or know God, but for you, he's only absent. And so your faith has leaked away. Once you might have believed, but then you just grew up and outgrew faith. Or, or maybe you've never believed. What Mary shows us is that the way we come to know that Jesus really is God in the flesh and that he loves you and he gave himself for you and he's launched new creation, the way we come to know that and to trust in Jesus to save us, the way to faith is love. Love is the primary path to knowing the truth. The way to faith in Jesus is to love Jesus, not by taking the initiative to love him, but to respond to the love poured out on the cross and in the resurrection, to respond to that love. Open your hearts to Jesus. Respond to his love so clearly demonstrated on the cross and in the resurrection. And if you do that, you will come to believe in him. And you will find that Jesus really is God 
in the flesh, my only hope in life and death.